Well, we've been spending some time in the Gospel of Luke. A few weeks ago, we saw a response to the good news in Zechariah of unbelief. Last week, we saw a response to the good news in Mary of faith. Today, we're going to look at a response to the good news of joy. See, Joy, we talk a lot about joy in the Christmas season, and there's good reason for it. Because Christmas is about the birth of a baby. And most often, there is great joy around the birth of a child, especially a firstborn child. Let's, let's watch this video here of how this family reacts when they find out the happy news. All right, I need you to know before, so give me a second. It won't flash in there. Okay, all right. Everybody say cheese. Cheese. Uh, okay, now. tell you what, there are dozens of these videos, these surprise birth announcements videos on the internet, some where the wives send the husband on this scavenger hunt throughout the house with great clues until there's the great reveal at the end. One I saw of a man who was looking for the vitamin water in the fridge. The wife had taken out his vitamin water and put a baby bottle right where he normally keeps his vitamin water. He keeps searching throughout refrigerator for his vitamin water and never notices the baby bottle. He even picks up the baby bottle, takes it out of the fridge, puts it on the counter, looking in the back for his vitamin water and doesn't get it until his wife actually has to tell him. There are several cues. There's, there's cute ones with a bun in the oven, you know, we have to find. And older siblings come down and announce to the family that they're going to be a big sister. And all the videos have this one thing in common. They're full of joy and rejoicing. And the announcement of the baby brings joy. The joy of the Christmas season has a lot to do with children. And we see that, especially today in our passage, that Christmas joy about children all throughout our passage today. So first we want to look at Elizabeth's joy in her Lord. So please turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1 and follow along as I read verses 39. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Well, the first thing we see in our passage here today 
is that right after Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel, she hurries. She makes haste. She goes as fast as she can to go see her relative Elizabeth. Not only had the angel told Mary about her miraculous birth, but as proof to her that God can do the impossible, the angel tells her in Luke 136 that her relative Elizabeth, who was well beyond childbearing age, who was called barren, is now six months pregnant with a son. God had performed a miracle in the opening of the womb of Elizabeth so that she could conceive a son with her husband Zechariah. For nothing is impossible with God. In Luke 1, 24, it tells us that Elizabeth kept herself hidden from public view for the first five months of her pregnancy. So it seems like from our text here of, of Luke that Mary had not heard that Elizabeth was pregnant. The news that Elizabeth was pregnant was new information to Mary. But it was exciting information. Could it be true? Could Elizabeth be pregnant? Could be God doing such great miracles in my family? She had to go see Elizabeth. If there was one person on planet Earth that could understand what was happening to Mary, it was her relative, Elizabeth. See, God didn't have to bring John the Baptist into this world through a miraculous birth. He didn't have to choose the barren, out-of-childbearing age Elizabeth. Jesus' birth required a miraculous birth because Jesus is both 100% human and 100% deity. But John's birth did not. Now, I'm sure there are multiple reasons why God chose to bring John into this world through Elizabeth and Zechariah. But I want to highlight just one here for you this morning. One of the reasons, I think, why John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, was born this miraculous birth to Elizabeth, a relative of Mary, was for Mary. See, few people in the history of our world have carried such a great blessing and have carried such great challenge as Mary. Mary would be the mother of the Messiah, yes, but Mary would go also unjustly carrying this great stigma that she had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. And many other burdens that she could yet even imagine were coming her way. Mary needed some encouragement. Mary needed someone older and wiser to accept her, to understand what was going on to her, to guide her, to inspire her, to give her strength and insight, to love her. Mary needed a close friend's love and help and acceptance in the midst of the most exciting most scary, most lonely time of her life. And God provided that person for Mary and her relative Elizabeth. And Mary runs to her, having just been told that she's having the one and only Messiah, begotten not of man but of the Holy Spirit, having been told that the Savior of mankind was going to be her firstborn son, even though she was a virgin, knowing that no one was going to believe this story. Being a teenager, Mary is overwhelmed. But God didn't leave Mary without help and encouragement. He provided Elizabeth for Mary. Think about it. Adam had Eve. Abraham had Lot. Moses had Aaron. David had Jonathan. Elijah had Elisha. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. Mary had Elizabeth. God knows that life can become way too much for us to handle. We need him and we need each other. 
See, God created us as relationship beings. He wants us to be in a real, substantive relationship with Him, one in which we not only find eternal salvation for our souls, but we find help and strength and wisdom to live in this present life for Him. And He wants us to be in relationship with fellow believers, because He knows that it is often through those relationships that He pours out His strength, He pours out His wisdom, He pours out His help to us. Part of the very reason why God created the church is so that when life gets too much for us to handle, we, we come and we're encouraged to go to Christ. And we're accepted and helped and loved by one another. If there is one place on planet Earth where you should find the true experience of love, a true experience of acceptance, of hope, of help, it's supposed to be in the church. The church is God's given manifestation of his love for each one of us. The Bible says the church is a place of the one another's. So we are called to be devoted to one another, to live in harmony with one another, to stop passing judgment on one another, to accept one another, to instruct one another, to agree with one another, to serve one another, to bear with one another, to be kind and compassionate to one another, to forgive each other. To submit to one another, to admonish one another with all wisdom, to encourage and build up one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to not slander one another, to be humble to one another. And of course, the most often repeated one another in the Bible, we're called to love one another. 1 John 3.23 says, and this is his commandment, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Don't you want to be part of a church that excels in fulfilling God's one another commands? I know I do. You see, real church is when our fellow believers in Christ help us, help us live our lives in the strength and the glory of Jesus Christ. If life is dishing out more than you can handle, Well, welcome to the real-life challenges of being a follower of Christ and understand that God is here. He's waiting and he's willing to help you through his spirit. And understand that Poland Village Baptist Church is here, poised, ready to be used of God in your life. See, that's the way he designed us best to function, in relationship with him and in relationship with his caring community. Mary needed that so badly, and God provided that for Mary and Elizabeth. And we need that so badly, and God has provided that for us through his church. Well, back in our text, we see that Mary goes with haste to see Elizabeth. She travels some 50 to 70 miles, walking the whole way from Nazareth and Galilee to a town in the hill country of Judah. She enters into the house of Zechariah and greets Elizabeth and And we have recorded for us one of the most touching and intimate and beautiful woman-to-woman conversations in the Bible. When Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, her baby in her womb leaps and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She's given instant, immediate understanding of the miraculous conception of Jesus. God reveals to her that Mary is pregnant and that baby Mary is carrying is her Lord, the long-awaited Messiah. 
Elizabeth is filled with joy and she cries out in this loud voice, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And see, Elizabeth's joy was not just that Mary is going to have a baby, but it's whose baby Mary is having. Mary is having her Lord. It's her Lord. The revelation of that truth is always divinely inspired. Mary has been shortly incarnated with the conception of Christ. It has been just days, just a very few short weeks. The earthly Jesus um, obviously has done no miracles at this point. He's done no teachings, no substitutionary death. Yet Elizabeth calls this few-week-old baby in her mother's womb her Lord. You see, the revelation that Jesus is your Lord is always a divinely inspired. It was for Elizabeth, it was for me, and it was for you. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and, and 2 describe for us that coming to the knowledge of Jesus as our Lord is not through some kind of human wisdom or reasoning, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. No one comes to God through their own reasonings and efforts. Everyone comes to God through the conviction and enlightenment provided by the Spirit of God. We might know the facts about Jesus. His miraculous birth, his perfect life, his cruel substitutionary death, his powerful resurrection. But we don't know him until the Spirit quickens us with the truth that he is our Savior and our Lord. Do you know about Jesus? Do you know the facts of Jesus? Maybe even like Jesus? Maybe you think he's a good guy? Maybe even try to do good deeds for Jesus? Or do you know Jesus? Is he the Lord, the commander, the hope and the vision of your life? Is he your Lord and Savior? These are two vastly different realities. Jesus himself said these very sobering words in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, Jesus said on that day, that judgment day, many will say to him, I knew all about you. I did all these great deeds in your name. And he's going to look at them and he's going to tell them to depart from him. That he never knew them. Why? Because it's one thing to like Jesus. It's one thing to know all about Jesus. It's one thing to even do good deeds. But it is something much greater. Something much more real and substantive. Something much more honest and life-changing. Something much more humble and spiritually life-giving to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus. It is something much greater for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Where our lives are not about us doing the deeds we do, but about him doing his deeds through us. Is Jesus someone you like? Or is Jesus the Lord of your life? The answer to that question defines your eternity. See, for Elizabeth, she was divinely inspired through the filling of the Holy Spirit to call Jesus her Lord. 
The joy of Elizabeth was in her Lord. Well, next I want to look at the joy of Elizabeth's baby. John leaps for joy. In Luke 1, uh, 41, we're told that the baby in Elizabeth's womb, womb leapt at the greeting of Mary. And in verse 44, it goes on to describe that, that as a leap of joy. In these few short verses, we have two preborn babies talked about. The preborn baby Jesus, just a few days to a few short weeks old in his mother's womb, is treated as a person and is called Lord. And the pre-born six-month-old John in his mother's womb miraculously responds to the voice of Mary as part of God's revelation to Elizabeth that Mary is pregnant with the Messiah. Folks, there's a clear teaching in our scriptures that teaches that a person's life begins at conception. This truth is taught directly from Psalm 139, 13-16. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows that very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in a secret, intricately woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This truth is taught indirectly in our passage today and in passages like Jeremiah 1.5 that says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nation. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb. A reward. See, the Bible is clear. Abortion is a tragedy to God. He is creating life, and life, all life, is to be honored. But the Bible is also clear that he who is without sin cast the first stone. We cast no stones at Poland Village Baptist Church. But instead, we reach out in grace, mercy, and love. The very same grace, mercy, and love that forgave us our sins and accepted us. We've not lived their life. We don't know the pain and agony that they have experienced. So just as Jesus offered himself and his love to people in the hard circumstances in their lives, so we offer his love and our love through him. Little preborn John leapt for joy in the presence of his Lord. Now Mary is taking all of this in. What an amazing whirlwind of a few short weeks in Mary's life. Next, we see Mary's rejoicing. Back in our text, Mary's joy in her Savior. Luke 1, 46-56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, and behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in its thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with, with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months, and returned home. This is Mary's song of praise to God. It's called 
the Magnificat, because that's the very first word in the Latin translation of the Bible um, from the word magnify. Mary's song is in response to all that's happened to her. The prophetic words of Gabriel have been buzzing around in her heart and her life for uh, these few weeks. These intimate words now that she's heard from Elizabeth and the ponderings of her own heart. We get insight into Mary's character from Luke chapter 2, verse 19, where it says, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. She was a reflective, thoughtful, insightful person. I don't think her song was just a spur-of-the-moment expression of her faith. She's been thinking about this. She's been pondering this. On her long walk uh, to Elizabeth's house, she was full of understanding, expressing her heart of faith to God. In Mary's song, we see a godly young woman, a woman who not only knew the truth of God, who not only had a relationship with God, but she knew his word. Now, remember here, Mary is just a teenager. She's still living with her family in her home as all this happens. People in general grew up faster in those days, taking the role and responsibilities of an adult much earlier in life than our culture does. So as we're moved by Mary's faith, as we're moved by her knowledge of God's word and her devotion to God, let's take a brief moment this morning and reflect on something. Let's reflect on her parents. She must have had some great parents. Second century uh, sources name her parents as Jehoiakim and Anne. The historic prevalent Hebrew school in Mary's day was the home. It was in the home that Jewish people lived out Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Most uh, of these precious verses to an Old Testament devoted follower of God. They say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. By the evidence of the depth, and the beauty, and the theology of Mary's song, she was well educated in the Bible. Her parents lived out these verses in real, everyday family life. Along with being trained by her mom and other women of town on how to manage a godly home, she was taught to love the Lord her God with all her heart. She was taught to, to love the Lord her God with all her soul and with all her might. In New Testament times, only boys received formal training of the Bible in the synagogue. So Mary didn't receive any formal training in the Bible in the synagogue. Yet the education by her parents was full. And substantive. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of leaving our children's education to the professionals. Sometimes that's really good. We have great schools and teachers that can simply teach things that we can't. But our children's education is not their responsibility. It's ours. And that's especially true of our children's spiritual education. It's the joy and privilege of Poland Village Baptist Church to offer substantive Bible classes for our children and teens. But folks, that's not enough. Two or three hours a week is not enough. Now, it's not that you have to be holding Bible classes with your kids, but you need to be living out biblical truth with your kids and talking to them about God. Talking to them about what God 
means to you, what God is doing in your life, talking to your children about what God is teaching you, what you're learning from Him, and then asking your children about what they are learning about God. The church is here to support and supplement what your children are learning at home. The Bible challenges parents to teach their children diligently to love and serve God. Mary was obviously taught in the Old Testament scriptures. Many a scholar see connection between Mary's song and Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mary knew her Bible. She had hid God's word in her heart, and now it came out in a song to magnify the Lord. Her song is full of Old Testament truth and imagery. Her song begins with a focus on salvation, proclaiming God as her Savior. She reflects on her humble, lowly estate, referring to her low social position. She was just an ordinary Jewish girl that God had blessed with an abundantly extraordinary blessing. In verse 49, she exclaims God's greatness. In verse 50, she's thankful for God's mercy. In verses 51 to 53, she exclaims some Old Testament praise and the workings of God for his people. In verse 54 and 55, are messianic and they're focusing on God's promise to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, that all the nations would be blessed through his seed. See, Mary's song is filled with Old Testament concepts and phrases. She knew and believed the scriptures. It has a tone of prophetic fulfillment. She knew that Messiah was promised to come and now she knew she would be the mother of Messiah. Mary, a woman with no wealth and no position would possess a unique, blessed place among all women of all history. And she was filled with joy. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Next in our story, we see the praise of Zechariah. Zechariah's joy for his son and for the Messiah. Now, turn in your Bibles with me again to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 57 to 66. It says, And now the time for Elizabeth to give birth, and she she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to the father inquiring that, uh, what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosened, and he spoke blessings on God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up their, in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Well, last we left Zechariah, a few sermons ago, he was struck mute by the angel for not believing God's message. And as Luke 1.6 says, Zechariah was a faithful follower of God, righteously walking in the commandments of God. But when the angel Gabriel told him that Elizabeth would have a son, he responded in that unbelief. How shall I know this? For, for I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Well, now it's nine months later, and John, the forerunner of Jesus, is born. And everybody's rejoicing. It's the neighbors and the relatives rejoiced with Elizabeth at the birth of John. Her pregnancy started off 
keeping it hidden, but it ended up a major public event. And like our short video this morning, it was full of joy and rejoicing. On the eighth day, like, like all good followers of God, they brought the baby boy to be circumcised according to the Old Testament law. There was no Jewish custom to wait and name the child. Most often, children were named at birth. For whatever reason, we don't know, Zechariah and Elizabeth waited until the circumcision to officially name their child. It was God's perfect timing. At the circumcision, they asked Elizabeth what, what their son's name is to be. She answers, John. Then all the people gathered around object. There's no one in your family named John. Surely you don't want to name him John. Don't you want to name him Zechariah after his father? Yes, that's a much better idea. Let's, let's ask Zechariah. I'm sure he'll agree with us that his name, Zechariah, is the best name for his son. Doesn't it amaze you sometimes how well-meaning people can sometimes be so concerned about issues of other people's lives that are really none of their business? It often surprises me. Folks, you know, before we tell other people what's best for their lives, let's make sure that we're truly humble and correctly focused on our own lives. After we've walked a mile in their shoes, then, then maybe we'll have the best perspective to advise them. Until then, let's just one another them instead. Remember, to love them and encourage them and to bear with them and to accept them and to live in harmony with one another. Well, the gathered friends and family were surprised when Zechariah wrote what Elizabeth had already said, his name is John. But they were increasingly more surprised when all of a sudden, because of Zechariah's act of faith and obedience, his mute voice rings out loud and strong. Well, where only the thoughts of his mind or the intents of his heart suddenly burst out of his unmuted mouth. And what came out? Joy. A message of praise to God, rejoicing in God, blessing God for who he is and what he has done. The first part of his song, verses 68 through 75, is focused on praise to God for the Messiah that has come to redeem and save his people. The second part of his song, verses 76 to 79, is focused on his son, John. And the role he will play in Messiah's plan. What comes out of Zechariah's mouth? Praise. The greatest forces in the world are not earthquakes and thunderbolts, said Dr. E.T. Sullivan. The greatest forces in the world are babies. As Zechariah looked at his baby son, so full of promise and potential, could he see what John would become? How John would challenge the Jewish religious leaders? How John would confront Roman immorality. How John would die in prison. No, Zechariah could see none of that. All he could see was John's little life to be used and blessed by God. Each parent, each grandparent, looked down to the eyes of their child, so full of potential, so full of promise, oblivious to the challenges that lay ahead. Zechariah knew his son was called into the servants of God, but he couldn't see the hardships that awaited him. You know, the very same mission that Zechariah's son went on can be the very same mission we send our children on. See, John's mission was to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. So we and our children can be on that same mission, preparing people for the coming of the Lord. No matter what profession you have now, no matter what profession your children pursue, our first mission is to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord and to train our children 
so that their first and highest mission is to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. Like John, our future is uncertain and is often full of hardships, even if we're pursuing God's mission first. But there's no greater joy in the midst of our toil than being a tool in the hand of our God to do His plan with our lives. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Lord is coming. Let every heart prepare Him room. Let us pray. Father, we thank You today for Your Word. And for the joy that just surrounds the, the birth of John and Jesus and all that we see from Elizabeth and Mary and Zechariah and even the preborn baby John. We thank you for that. Lord, there is joy. Lord, we thank you for that. And so we come to you now, kind of, kind of with this idea in our heart about accepting this calling, this calling that you gave to John as a calling for us and for our family and for our children to prepare a people for the coming of their Lord. Joy to the world, Lord, you are coming. And we thank you. Even so come, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.